Hello and welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. I'm Kathy Love. I started life as an OT, had a, an amazing, crazy private practice which I sold. And what I do now is help allied health business owners create a business that serves them, the time, the money, the joy that they absolutely deserve. And this is where my idea for the podcast started. What I want to do is to capture how hard allied health business owners in Australia work to achieve their dreams, to support their teams, to create amazing outcomes for their clients. So sit back, beverage of joys, drive safely, walk carefully, however you're listening in, and I hope you absolutely enjoy Hello, everybody. My guest today is Lisa Clark, occupational therapist and founding director at Splash Therapy. Welcome aboard. Hello, Kathy. Thanks for having me. And I love that you've gone to all of the effort of finding the quietest room that you know in the world <laughs> and investing <laughs> in some supersonic tech, all for the greater <laughs> listening pleasure of whoever's listening. Yeah, well, it's, you know, my world's not very quiet. So staying at uh, the clinics is not going to be quiet. And with my little children at home, I thought I've got to escape somewhere like my parents' house in a quiet bedroom upstairs so I can have a quiet conversation with you uninterrupted. And as you explained that before I hit record, I instantly visually went to the quiet bedroom at my parents' house that I have been known to work from as well. (laughs) it's very peaceful actually like looking out the window it's very I was like I should come here more often (laughs) yeah but yeah exactly right that's what I um, think as well so flies into splash therapy where is it how many Mm. clinics what do we see when we walk in the walk in the door walk in the door wow well yeah I think it's really evolved over the time that you know since I started it and I think I was mentioning to you that it's um 10 years this year which is yeah happy you, birthday you're very Tom good you said you celebrate it because I I was sort of just telling you but I've started to really think about the fact that we need to do a celebration this year mm. um I need to do a celebration and with the team so um yeah 10 years is a long time but I think Splash, where's Splash at we are yep yeah, from where it's come from at the moment we are all still Melbourne based um, we're now occupational therapy and speech pathology for kids. So we're still in the pediatric space. Um, clinics around Melbourne, we're around sort of occupying west, north and east. So we're, yeah, uh, spread out in Werribee and Essendon and Glen Iris. So, and then sort of obviously also supporting those communities in those areas as well. So, um, we're a team of about 60 now of a mix of, you know, leadership admin, uh, speech and OT and allied health support. So it's exciting. Like there's a big mix of things and there's lots going on. And as you know, you know, in the NDIS space, there's lots of lots of interesting opportunities and lots of change. So um, yeah, I think Splash is it's in a really exciting place at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the name. What's Splash? With Splash? <laughs> yeah, I often get asked this. I um. I really like I think when you're trying to start a business and and work out a name it's it's hard I th- I found it hard but I I really wanted to capture like you know being a place that supported kids but not just sort of focusing on particularly just kids who needed support children with disabilities but you know it's really a space for all kids to come because we as you may know we see kids with like a real range from children with very mild difficulties right through to quite complex disability so 
I wanted to be able to encapsulate that to make sure it was broad and, you know, sometimes we get a two-year-old in and then the next time you have a 15-year-old in. So you've got to, um, you know, be aware of that and to try and build the name around that. So Splash came from, a, yeah, funny story, but I was away. This was away with my now husband at the time and some friends and we were in Croatia and um, sitting down and watching and talking about it and seeing these beautiful kids jumping off this pier into this water and talking about what it could be. And I think that moment, just watching children and how they were making a splash Mm -hmm. and the impact that they have when they're around you. And I think even now the kids that come into the clinic, they bring so much joy and happiness. And it was really that metaphor around children make a splash. You know, they make a splash in the world, they make an impact. And that's what we were about. So that's where the name came from. It's a great name. It's just got such good energy around it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I really like it. I, I like it. I think it still holds, you know, the space that it needs to now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So 10 years ago, did you in your wildest dreams, maybe you did, imagine that you would have what you've got now? Um, I think I always had that image and vision in my mind. Like that's probably what drove me was a team. Um, I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed being an occupational therapist and I probably have more of an interest in going back towards it now. Sometimes I miss it. Um, but I grew up in a small business, like my dad was a pharmacist and we grew up in a pharmacy that my family owned. So I think that was a, a space I was always in. And I love, I think what drove me was the concept of building a team and a great place to work. And Mm -hmm. so I do think, yeah, that probably what motivated me to go out and start something on my own was that vision of what, where we are today. So I wasn't probably like, it was really hard work early on because you're solo Um, and you'd know this, like you, you know, you're solo and it's you and you got to keep your eye on the bigger picture to keep yourself going day to day. Cause some of the days are really like, you know, hard and, you don't have the people to bounce the ideas off and chat to. So um, I think, yeah, probably early on, like I was like, I want to build a big team. That was my motivator. It was. From the get-go, you had that in mind. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. I think that's the biggest thing that probably kept me going is like I could see just just in our industry, in allied health and, yeah, probably, no, I think, yes, when I, when I worked in sort of, learned in pediatrics. I worked in a hospital and then I worked for some other um, OTs in private practice and it was very solo. Like they were fantastic OTs and they create, you know, they taught me heaps, but they also were pretty, like it was pretty small and whether like, obviously it's changed, I think the private practice world, Um, but it was pretty solo. And so I think I was looking at it, you know, and in the hospitals, you'd have small teams or community-based things. And so I was really, probably passionate about going there's a lot of work here and there's a lot of skill and you know how we can pull people together so I think early on you'd see that and think oh how can we build that Mm. are you someone that has a vision board or a really detailed business plan or just a ton of ideas that keep you awake at night or none of the above or all of the above like how do you how do you picture the future I love that you're asking that question because I had a meeting yesterday where I was being pinned. What's your plan? What's where is it? Where's it going? (laughs) I do. I look, I do, I do write it out, obviously. And I think in a business, you've got to have your business plan and you've got to have your targets and you've got to have it and working with a team of people, that's only becoming more and more critical. 
I do think probably on reflection when I'm sitting in those meetings where I've got, you know, different mentors and managers in the room, I think I often, I do obviously hold the picture in my head uh, and I can see it and I can see where we're going and obviously learning how much more you need to articulate that and continue to paint the picture to be a good leader um, is very important. So that's something I think I'm still learning but vision board, no, that is not me. I'm not organised to have enough to have a vision board. <laughs> okay, just no, leave them. It sounds really good. Um, mm. And if someone pulled me aside, like if you pulled me aside and we created it on that day, I think I'd be like, this was fantastic. Why didn't I do this? I, I do look. I do have particular points. We run planning days and things where we, I suppose, we're essentially doing that. Um, but you know, this business is over the ten years that I've had the business. Um, you know, you're saying was that your vision from the start? It was my vision, but I suppose it's sort of I always would take it in my stride. Like I wasn't going, I must get to here in three years. Yeah. It was like loving, I think I've always loved the creativity that this business has bought, the the opportunities and the directions you could go in. And I think to lock myself into that, I think maybe stylistically is not something I'd probably do. I think it also run the risk of missing opportunities if you've yeah. got your blinkers on and just hardline, this is the way we're going, and, yeah, you miss the incidental opportunities and invitations. Yeah, I mean, would you, would you describe yourself that you were, like, did you block out, like, clear visions or do you think for you? Bit of both. A- Bit of both. I would, um, oh, I'm just kind of translating back to when I had the practice. I was... Mm. I'm nearly always pretty clear about what I did want and what I didn't want, but not to the extent that I was taking a corridor view and yep. that I couldn't enjoy taking that meeting or being distracted here or trying that and being comfortable that it did or didn't work. So, um, mm. yeah, it was, yeah, kind of somewhere in between, I guess. Yeah, and maybe that's also talks to as well, like as you said, like when you had your practice, which was, you know, so they were one of only big practices back then, but like mm-hmm. there, there was lots of work around. So you sort of follow the work and it's the same now. So you're like, well, you know, things are changing. We better adapt and maybe we'll go in this direction because that's really where the need is. Um, and at the moment we're really facing that with the NDIS is we've got heaps of families that are now obviously getting access to services in the private sector and not being able to get them. So our discussions at the moment are around, well, we need to change our model to support people differently so and that's exciting it's interesting and it's probably in a different direction than potentially where we were you know two years ago yeah I think adaptability is the name of the the game if you're too sticky and too stuck to the way you've always done things I think Mm. you might find the next five years quite difficult personally Um. (laughs) and I'm not a very good um I'm I'm not the person that does the same thing every day every week and I don't know if any business owner can be. Can you? I think that's no, possible. I, I wouldn't know. Possible. I wouldn't know that life. <laughs> yeah. When would they? Yeah. Do we do the same thing on Thursdays every week? No. Um. So, uh, that doesn't sort of. Yeah. That I think as a business owner, you're going to naturally have some, be entrepreneurial, have that creativity and vision. So, you're probably not going to um yeah behave that way, and you're going to have an open mind about yeah what what you can. But do. that that real spirit gets unleashed totally off the hook when you do step away from the clinical work and into mm. directoring or CEOing, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
because otherwise it's you've just got tension and you're working two full-time jobs. So that's a... Yeah, and there was definitely definitely a space there where it was, you know, you, I'm sure there's lots of other business owners when you're doing both and you're in that phase where you've got your clinical work you're getting some new staff and you're trying to grow that's that's pain that's a that's a pain point yeah when do you can you remember back when you think that was when you really were business facing and business owning uh well for me it was sort of driven by lifestyle factors because I got pregnant (laughs) so you know having children really forces you to adapt your business quickly but in many ways, when I look back and I've had three children, so three times I've come out and every one of those three times, you actually have to step away more, which forces you to implement systems. So if I went and, you know, tied your hands around a pole and said, you can't do anything, but you got to tell and coach everyone, stand over there, then you have to take this different approach. So you, um, that's what pulled me away because I physically couldn't do it but it's also what forced me to look at things in okay how do you engage your team how do you upskill people how do you probably go and pay someone who you don't the business may not have the money for yet to do it a function that you were doing but you can't do it but then it also releases you and allows you to go and obviously yeah. get more work so um yeah but then in between them for the first two children for example which would be about the first five years I would come back and have a caseload um, it's just when you, you know, when you're getting a team, you really need to shift um, your service, obviously, because you're, you know, supporting team members and your client facing. So that's probably that sort of the shift. I think is gradual yeah. as, you, as you get team. But I think from day one, you're always in that mode of you're servicing families, but you're also business facing in terms of building relationships with principals and schools and pediatricians. Like that's that's from day one. Yeah. I've seen uh, that scenario many times Um, and whilst we can't really advocate maternity leave as one of your big levers for coming back as more of a director but seeing that (laughs) stepping out and needing to totally empower and dial up all of the things to make yourself redundant for a certain amount of time and coming back in and resisting the temptation to get back on the tools and stepping up and staying up as director. it's good. Yes, yeah, so it's a temptation. You want to go do things the way you want them done and you've got to mm. hold mm. and let people have a go so they can do it the way you would like things to be done um, without sounding like a, you know, control freak perfectionist there about do it this way. But I think you've got to understand about letting go when you want to step away and grow. You can't hold on to those little things. And I think lots of allied health um, practitioners or business owners, I, I think, find it really hard to let go of clients and clients don't let go of you. Pregnancy was the only way I could let go of yeah. that. But Extreme. it's very difficult because also in pediatrics, you build really beautiful relationships with your family. So it's not an easy like tie to cut. Um, so, yeah, I think and also probably my passion definitely lies more as, you know, throughout the years has come more into business. So there's probably a motivator mm. to go there rather than if my passion was becoming a clinical expert, I think I'd find it really hard to pull away from um, the clinical discussions and the way that we're seeing kids and how we're doing and yeah. During the 10 years there have been seismic changes across the industry. What have been the biggest moments for you and your business? Yeah well obviously the the impact of NDIS has been yeah. big. It's um, there. COVID was big. Mm. Um, they are big ones that stand out. When I first started we had 
the old Faxia funding and better start. So the big changes I think have come through the, you know, the models of funding that have hit your industry. Um, there's been, yeah, across the 10 years, recruitment has definitely shifted as well. So early yeah. on, it was quite easy to get therapists who wanted to work with you, um, which was lovely. And now, obviously, because the industry's grown, that's different now where we're seeing, you know, a lot more providers out there and therapists having more options. Um, so that's changed a lot. I think the recruitment pull from being able to get therapists quite easily through to it becoming more challenging, although we're starting to see a bit of a turn now, which is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, like COVID was huge. And I think for lots of businesses really improved a lot of things that you probably wouldn't have to have in place before that. Um, you know, we had to adapt to a complete telehealth based service and my team we did a fantastic job and really held a lot of our families through that time um the ndis is also obviously a um a big um scheme that's obviously you know for businesses of a particular size when you're getting audited and accredited you know you've got to do a lot of work there so i think they were big jumps in my business's development from like you know a more classic allied health private practice to then more of a you know a business model I suppose and yeah. and yeah a different model there so I think those things are pretty key across the 10 years that I can remember yeah so let's just dwell on COVID just for a, a minute I know we're all trying to delete those files but <laughs> it just doesn't what? seem as bad the further you get away does it yeah yeah <laughs> no, it was it had its moments <laughs> yeah I think it's kind of cooked into our our uh, DNA a bit mm. um <laughs> What did you guys do really, really well and really quickly? I'm thinking of literally March three years ago. Like, yep, I remember what where I was and I remember what I was doing. Yeah, we were down at my family beach house at Anglesey on the beach, and I remember my mother-in-law saying, "There's, I think that something big's coming. It's changing. You can sort of feel it in the air." Um, and I was quite pregnant with my third child, and so I was already sort of trying to get some key operations managers into their roles ready to go as I was sort of on the exit. Um, but I remember that day and it was a Sunday where he did the first lockdown, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. who knows? It was yeah, around the many, 10th or 11th or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, and again, like today, I couldn't talk in the house because there was too many kids, but I texted all my leaders and I was like, we need an urgent meeting now like in the next hour and so I jumped in the car and I remember talking to them all on speaker and I think it is in COVID it was about giving people a plan because yeah you know I didn't know when I was like we have to make a decision what are we doing tomorrow Monday morning because we can't have kids coming into the clinic that was like on reflection that was like eight hours warning correct what, what, <laughs> <laughs> crazy but I think we did, and I probably one of the biggest things to commend ourselves on, we did an amazing job. I said, just like we are talking to each other now, right now people need to talk. There's going to be a million emails going out saying do this. I said, we need to talk to our families. Every single therapist needs to get on the phone tomorrow and call their parents because the therapists and the parents have got the best relationship, not us, not some big email that's coming from us. So I think on that Monday morning, by the end of the Monday, one of my head um, admin girls called me. She goes, we've almost got like a full transition across to telehealth across all calendars. And all of our therapists sat on the phone, called, called, called. This is what we're doing. This is the plan. And people were just following suit because 
yeah. you know, it was so unheard of. How many words times did that word unprecedented get? Yeah, you know? pivot. I was going to put pivot in, pivot. but we did not. <laughs> sure, we pivoted. I don't want to use that word, but um, that was so our strategy was almost very like you know very basic, isn't it? It was get on mm. the phone. Let's just talk to people and make a decision. Talk to people, yep. Um, and that was um, hugely effective, and that held us the whole way through because what we'd set up was basically, um, yeah, we will talk to you and talk you through it and carry our families through that shift. So it was basically that just within 24 hours we shifted every appointment from a face-to-face to a telehealth. We had people on Zoom tutorials, quickly learning stuff, just go, 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 but it was really fast. And by the end of that week, you were like, is, this, is it still working? Okay, it's still working. Okay, do people, oh, God, go buy hand sanitizer. What? Do you need signage? Okay, signage. Like it, was, it wasn't like this beautifully planned strategic event, just like I'm sure every business you were like, quick, oh, God, did you hear that? You're supposed to have that. Yes. You know, so it was just adapt, 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 hurry, by hurry. By the hurry. hour. By the hour. By the hour. Yeah. It was by the hour. Yeah, so I think that that was that was what we did and it worked. And it's not anything, it wasn't rocket science. It was just, let's speak to all our families. Let's yeah. just call them. Yep. Good, quick, practical decisions and working with the information that literally comes in on the air. In the allied health business world, it's harder than you think to stay on top of everything you need to do to run a business whilst being fully present for your team and clients. If you struggle with this, you're not alone. Pretty much everybody feels this way. Some days you feel like you're crossing a decent task off just to be reminded that you then have three new tasks to take at their place. The to-do list feels like it never ends. It can be overwhelming doing it all on your own, and that is why we took it upon ourselves to reach out to help you out. We have created our monthly masterclasses so that you can join and connect with others, learn bite-sized business skills, and best of all, walk away from our masterclass with tasks ticked off your list. We can guarantee that each session will provide you with at the very least five gems that you can take and put into action right there and then. And trust us, as soon as you hop off our short and sweet session, you will want to take immediate action because that is the effect that Kathy Love and these masterclasses have. Each masterclass tackles a topic that has been niggling in the back of your mind and has moved further and further down your list. However, the sooner you nip this in the bud, the sooner you will free up your time and see the results in your business. Ready to nip your business woes in the bud and start taking practical action to maximize your results this year? Join one of our monthly masterclasses today. How did you uh, Mm. look after your beautiful team? I think um, one of the girls, Sarah, said, you're Santa Claus. This is ridiculous. Stop it. Because I was on maternity leave, so I felt very like, I don't think that mattered actually that I was on maternity leave, but Mm. in my head I felt a little bit like, oh, I've got this baby that's a bit distracting. I need to be very present for them. But we were all, you know, in our houses and removed. Um, I I gifted them a lot of things all the time. Mm. <laughs> I just kept reaching out and thinking of these creative ideas and ways to send them care and love and thoughts and support. And I think mm. that's probably always been, you know, I always have focused on creating an environment that I think can connect people and have a good culture. So it's a really different way of doing it, obviously, because you've got people at home. So they got like, you know, cookie deliveries, they got like plants, they got books, and we just kept sending things out that we could, you know, get a book, we'd all talk about it and read it. We'd get cookies, send mm. photos of them, like everyone was doing. The care packs and things were going around. We did things like had talks at night on Zoom with key speakers to just connect everyone in. Um, we were doing, yeah, everything we can to connect people 
And we had some therapists as well who were, you know, lived alone. So it was very um, solo. We were allowed to actually bring eventually, I think, as the rules started to shift, as soon as we could bring the therapist into the clinic to work on telehealth, we did. So phase two was them all being in at the clinic, but on telehealth. But that was a huge shift for them to be able to wake up in the morning, come Mm. to work. And yeah, if you, I mean, if you look at our Instagram, they did a lot of TikTok um, competitions and dances to keep them (laughs) connected. Spirits up. Yeah. So, you know, nothing I think that was different to what a lot of other people were probably doing to stay connected, but it was about, um, talking and supporting people and, yeah, doing what we could there. Yeah. What could you do? It was so tricky. You just had to, yeah, make, not not so much make things up but. A little um, bit. Yeah, make make things up but also trust that you're making the best decision at that point in time with what you thought you knew. Yeah. Yeah, learning to back yourself a, a little bit. Mm, yep. Tell us a little bit about your leadership team. Yes, my leadership team are great. They're fantastic. They are all, um, well, no, not all of them. We've got obviously a portion of the business, which is our administrative and business function. So um, we've got leaders there who obviously support the admin team, which is a hugely important part of our business um, in terms of the, the bookings management and, you know, client management and things like that. So we have lead practice managers who oversee the admin team but a strong part of it is our clinical lead team and obviously I think that's also quite an attraction to working with us because we have fairly senior um, clinical team members who are in the leadership team they've all been therapists and worked in the role and I think that says a lot Mm -hmm. Um, I myself you know obviously have worked as a therapist so I think when you're sitting in a leadership role trying to look at a better system or a different way of doing things it's really important that you're just as connected to how it will actually roll out on the floor. So, uh, yeah, we've got a fantastic mixture of OTs and speeches that's their background who have come into leadership roles within the business. And over the last five, four years, five years, I've really invested a lot of my time in terms of in upskilling them as leaders so that, you know, it's always great when you're the best at your field, but have you ever been trained in being a leader? having mm-hmm. difficult conversations with staff, um, you know, understanding how to lead and manage people and support them through, you know, team meetings, huddles and things like that. So as a leadership team, we meet regularly to do a lot of training, sometimes whether it's in-house workshopping, things we need to do as leaders, but also bringing external coaches in to support us about how to be leaders in our industry. And how many are in your leadership team and how long have they been with you? Yep. I have got, uh, there's about 10 of them. There's 10 in the leadership team. And the longest standing one is, who was just on the phone to before to do a sound check before I called you, of course, she's always available. (laughs) She's been with me for um, eight years, which is pretty fantastic. So she's the business manager. Um, But a lot of them are more than four years, the majority of them. So Really, some of them very early on, um, yeah, probably when I literally started to hire, pe- hire people about a year and a half in, some of them have been there for that long, mm-hmm. which I think is a really nice sign. We all enjoy working together. So the majority of them are above four, four to eight years of time together, which I think obviously is important as leaders because you need time together, don't you, to become yep. that yeah. strong team. So to get to know each other and how you work and 
how to support each other. We're really lucky. I'm really lucky to have them all, yeah, together to be able to support the whole business because I definitely don't see myself doing this solo. They are, we are a team that support the whole, all of Splash. It takes a bit of time for a good group of humans to learn to rumble as well and to find their edges and be comfortable with tension and, you know, debate. Yes, yeah, and we talk a lot about this concept when we're leading around tension. You would have heard of tension versus trust, that balance Mm -hmm. of how we support people about do they need a bit more tension to, you know, produce, you know, get their performance or produce results and then with a level of trust and it does, it takes time not just professionally as well but personally, like to share your ins and outs of your day and your family life and all those things to really get to know and understand people that you're working with closely um and as you would know like as leaders we do a bit of work around when you become a leader it's about lots of exposure about who am I how do I learn what frustrates me and so that you really want to be aware of those things before you start supporting other people because you need to be aware if they're going to you know rub you up the wrong way (laughs) um so yeah. we, you know, lots of nice discussions and support. So I think it is just, it's not just about working together day to day at work. It's about, you know, the other stuff around that, around getting to know each other and showing, you know, a lot of interest in each other's lives. We've had one just get married and babies are coming and all those things to be able to celebrate with each other is lovely. Yeah. It also uh, kind of puts a, um, a peg in the map for early career clinicians coming into the industry and coming into an organisation like yours that they can sort of see that there are some different options for their own career pathways as well because, Mm. you know, clinicians don't necessarily want to be a clinician forever or maybe they do or they Mm. want to go this way with some leadership skills but then maybe swap over to back to something else for a phase as well. I can imagine, I don't know the answer, I can imagine you've got, you've really thought this out about how we can grow our people through different different avenues. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And definitely as clinicians, because um, we've done a lot of work around role diversification um, and, you know, um, uh, career progression within our area. So how can your role become more diverse working, obviously, myself, when you're seeing families back to back at times or going from a group to face to face or doing reports there's lots of variability in that clinically but obviously as you start to do that year on year as clinicians we talk about there's there's often sort of two clear directions they might go in it's more in a clinical specialist direction or it's going more towards leadership people management so we're really supporting um, our therapists at the moment around understanding around key competencies as therapists, those emerging competencies as you start to become a leader and and different directions you can go in. I think that's really nice for therapists to be able to see that there's that progression for them. And there's more, you know, there's more leadership courses and things coming out, I think, for um, allied health. Absolutely. That need, isn't there? Yeah, 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 yeah. You described your workplace as cool. (laughs) (laughs) I think you put it in inverted commas. What? What does that kind of really look like? Like, what is the coolness about? Uh, I think I wrote cool as in I I want it to be a cool place for therapists to be able to work in terms of, you know, sometimes that feeling of um, when you're a therapist, it can be, and there can be some really daggy places to work. And I think 
Mm. Um, you know, if you look, if you compare within health to the corporate world, and I think it's changing, but in the corporate world, you know, there's all those perks and the dinners and the drinks and the, you know, oh, the lovely Google, things they Facebook. get over lunch. Yeah. What was that? Sorry. Think Google, think Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Going to the extreme. So um, we, we are definitely doing some work on, on that, yeah, culturally about where we are. And also I just really feel like Allied health professionals should be able to have all those perks in their workplace and be able to go out for the great after work drinks and have some of that, you know, coolness, whether that's the right word in, um, yeah, where they work. So I think when we design things and put things in place, like we have a wellness and events type calendar that they can come and basically a board they can come up to and what I want to get involved in from whether it's like a sporting based thing through to drinks through to like the best upcoming podcast or recipes, like sort of opening up to lots of different directions. So I think, um, yeah, that, that comes through the people that we employ, um, you know, in terms of like-minded and making sure that it's fun and, you know, people that work with Splasher, um, you know, passionate about what they do, but also ready to, you know, bring their whole self to work and engage and have fun. Um, so I'm always trying to, I suppose, make sure that we get access to and our workplace looks just as exciting as, you know, your Facebook, your Google. Well, another one, we, what did we compare to with the other day? Airbnb. Mm-hmm. That's quite cool. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but I yeah. think they're great things for us to be able to see as examples um, of things that people want in their workplace. It's got to be way more than the fruit bowl. It just has to be. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, it doesn't, you know, cost a, a ton to make it more vibrant and more playful and to bring variety and to stock up on their sort of, yeah, offer that. Um, yeah, exactly. I, in terms of things that they can access. And we often ask them. Mm. What do you want? Lots of coffee machines, obviously. Recently, yeah. they want the hot cold tap. Yep, fair enough. <laughs> but I was like, great. Like, you know, different things that make their day to day a bit more interesting or um, easier for them. Yeah, and more playful. What What's your sense of what clinicians want in a workplace? So there's some of the tangible, lump, you know, team room things. What else do they want? Oh, look, I think a really big theme is around support. I think you can have all, like what we just talked about then is really easy and fun and we can ask people what they want around, you know, yoga and fruit and cake and snacks and all that stuff, which is fun. But I think the most important thing is support. So does the workplace and the people that lead or manage me, do they have the capacity and the resources to support me you know, mental health is a big theme that comes through for any workplace, I think. So I would say, you know, people are able to do their job well when their mental health and their physical health is in a good place and they're supported. And we do a lot of work around like our professional coaching sessions with our team around, are you enjoying it? Are you getting what you want from a professional sense, but also what's happening for you in your personal life? Because we know the impact that has. Um, on people's day-to-day so things about people moving house or mental health challenges they're having I think it's a really culturally we've really opened that up hugely to well I think we've always had it but it's more explicit around yeah. making sure that people you know tell your leader when you're having trouble with something or you're having difficulties because to be able to support people through that is 
I think it's really important for their um, their professional world and their personal world. Um, we have, you know, we've engaged a, a team of psychologists who are fantastic, who we use as an EAP service, but they also come in and do a lot of um, group work with our team around how to um, improve your mental health. And sometimes that comes down to how to have difficult conversations with people outside of work that you're struggling with or, um, you know, people who might be struggling with anxiety and depression it's really common and it's not, and especially with a female dominated workforce also about, um, you know, female health issues. It's huge. And lots like, you know, all of us are having different things in different ways. So it's really about bringing those topics out, talking about it and being able to support people. I think that is one of the big things people look for in a workplace. Are they supportive? Can they be flexible with me when my health or things in my life need to be supported? I think that's a big one, support. And yeah. also in our industry, training, training and learning um, in our clinical world because you're always, there's always something to learn. So we invest a lot of time in um, our training and learning program clinically and for professional skills because I think it keeps you creative and it keeps you interested in your job. You need to always be learning. Yeah. I was going to ask you about whether you engaged an EAP. I've probably been asked 10 times in the last 10 days about <laughs> uh, about this in that um, it seems to be a really, well, understandably, I don't even want to use the cliche of a hot topic. It's an essential topic. Mm. And I guess it speaks to that piece about, you know, you, you've employed humans. You haven't employed an IT. You've employed a spectacular human um, who's, you know, foursome. Um, mm. Yeah. And so, well, I think it's important to take that 360 approach and just broaden your own thinking around who you're actually leading. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And I think also, you know, when you see particular behaviours or problems pop up at work, they're often the underlying thing is something broader happening for that person. So being able to open up a conversation and then sort of offer different supports, I think is really important. Yeah. So 10 years in, happy birthday. What uh, what's, <laughs> what month Thank is you. the birthday? I'm glad to think the 10th birthday, can, for next year I'm going to be 40. So, you know, I'm happy for you to celebrate a 10th birthday with me. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do that one. Um, what's up for the next 10, do you think? Ooh, I think um, next 10, uh, We've got a lot of work to do at the moment that's exciting. We're doing a lot of service redesign at the moment in line with the NDIS, which I think is exciting. It's exciting for the therapists that are going to do the work and it's exciting for the families that are going to receive it. So I think my head's really deep in service redesign and um, continuing to build, as we talked about before, that sort of, um, yeah, the the. Pro- the development of an allied health business and the team and different career opportunities that come within that. So we're, our next 10 years is, I suppose, continuing to grow and develop in that space. And at the moment, we're, I think we're about a year or two away from a really exciting model that we'll start to see, you know, being run really well. So yeah, definitely. We've got some other exciting projects sort of popping up along the way, but um, yeah, I think in the next 10 years, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be talking to you again in 10 years if I'm still doing the same thing, but I think I'll definitely be mm. in this space, um, uh, definitely enjoying, you know, the creativity and just the great opportunities that it has. Yeah. 
10 years is a long is a long time and when we think about what's happened in this last 10 years with the NDIS who knows what that machine's going to look like in even one mm. year's time let alone yeah let yeah <laughs> Have you got any hunches? Where do you, where do you think the NDIS is going? Oh, I think it's going to stay, but I think they'll cap it a little bit. I used to work in the work cover scheme, and so I started in that when it was probably not as reined in and then saw work in that through about a five- to six-year period to see that sort of, you know, as they learn more, they start Narrowed. to yeah. align services and mm. things like that to sort of, you know, I think the funding models will get tightened. I don't think the scheme will go away. No. I think that would be very difficult for them. But I think, yeah, I think you're right with a year. <laughs> there will be a change within a year. I don't think we need to wait 10 years to see some things shift. But I think it is a great model, but it still needs a lot of a yeah. lot of work. Yeah. If you could, what what would you change in the NDIS? Oh gosh, that's a tricky question. Um oh, if I could, I just want to know more clear. <laughs> if I could change something now, I'd want clearer rules. <laughs> Or no rules. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to, um, yeah, get a bit more clarity all the time on different ways to provide things. And so because they're still learning, we're not getting the, the clear answers yet, which I understand. Oh, I don't know. That's a tricky one. Can't, mm. I can't answer it. Oh, well, there you go. You I'll, can... I'll, I'll come and think. I'll think about it for you. I think I, I just like, yeah, my answer at this stage is more clarity. rules, please. Clarity. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, would quite like them to look at the AHAs and yes, uh, yes, yeah. I think that would be good because I I feel that that is a, an amazing, intriguing emerging workforce. Um, yes, it definitely is. We've got AHAs that work for us now, and that's something that we're looking at is how we can because the the work they could do. Oh, my they're God. not being able to do at the moment would be huge. So yeah, I think that is a very interesting one. Yep. Yeah. And I know a lot of business owners would would like it to be easier and clearer to be able to run group programs as well mm-hmm. without sitting with the calculator in the dark of night dividing by four. Or yeah, whatever. that's where our, our, my clarity comes from 100%. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm talking must be the most acute. Oh, I think that, that's probably an area that I think is needs a lot of work and we're talking with them constantly in the moment about how we are designing and charging for that service in line with what our therapists are doing because there's huge clinical value in groups for children especially when we've had children who have been in therapy for a while and we don't want to sit them in there we're very much focused around goal-directed service so you need to create those environments for them to learn particular skills but yeah the modeling around it is not there there you go you pulled it out of me groups there you go (laughs) snap 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 (laughs) Anything uh, you would like to leave in the years of allied health business owners and to kind of think about? I think the most important thing, whether you are at, you know, a year in or four years down the track or 12 years down the track, I think the one thing that I have always done if you are building an allied health service, um, obviously you need your clients, but in this particular um phase we're in at the moment there's a lot of clients there that need service so the focus is on your team and I think it's always about listening to your team and I've always thought in my head I work for them I mean Mm -hmm. they work for me 
in a more traditional sense. But from the time I had my first hire, I was always like, what can I do? I was always servicing them. And I think today it's always, well, they're doing the core work. We need to listen to them. So if there's a system or a thing we're doing that is just not making sense or giving any value, um, they're the ones that are going to tell you. So I think for business owners out there, And of course, you can have different team members across the journey, some that might have good advice and some not so much. But I think you've got to listen to your team and you can then create the environment which is really, you know, supportive and able to connect people to share and learn together. I think that's team is my number one thing. That's It's really important that people can be aligned together as you start to grow and build a service. Oh, love that. That is just the perfect spot to... um... (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for coming in and just downloading the first 10. I'm sure we'll yeah, uh, be chatting again before the, the next. To, to reflect on the 10. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. For the show notes and other resources, our webinar replays, they're all available over on naker.com.au. And if you're loving what you're listening to, please subscribe. We don't want you to miss out on a single thing. And if you want others to get the same benefit that you've had from listening into these episodes, please share this episode and any of the others forward to any of your other allied health business colleagues. And we are totally here for you. Don't forget for a moment that you can jump on in and book that power call and uh, we can see how we can help you get the best of business done. Looking forward to seeing you there.